the Onyx Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dixie Cochran, here as recently usual, which is kind of great, with Matthew Dawkins. Hello! And Eddie Webb. Hello. Who I saw in person like a week or two ago. I know. Did he see you? No, I was actually just lurking outside the window. (laughs) Um, I would occasionally like throw little rocks at it and then go hide. Uh, I'm I'm really just trying to gaslight Eddie is is my entire job right now. Well, at least you're up front about it. Yeah. The problem was is that she forgot that I have hearing loss, so I didn't hear any of it. Oh, so I, I, I just been terrorizing Michelle is what you're saying. Okay. Right. Cool, yes. Cool, 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 cool. Um, Good luck with that. Oh yeah. No, I'm no. She she'll she'll end me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Eddie's wife is lovely. She is, but also imposing when she needs to be. Right. That said, we're not talking about that today. We're talking about. <laughs> Uh, to continue our They Came From Month, we're going to talk about Cyclops Cave. I do want to give a slight disclaimer in that it is the time of year when my windows have to be open or else my apartment will be 85 degrees. Ooh, uh, so I apologize in advance for any outside noise. Um, I will try to mute if like sirens or trucks or whatever come by. But eh. Well, that's what the editing passes for, isn't it, Dixie? I mean, yeah, but if it happens while I'm talking, I can't do much about it. That's true. That's true. You could be like that guy from Police Academy that can make strange noises. <laughs> yes, that is that is my my forte is, is strange noises. Um, <laughs> so you might find strange noises in some of the fantasy lands in Cyclops' cave. Oh wow, like we're, we're, yeah, so, we're into it aren't, with un, un, in under two minutes. This we is don't have record. to be. I just thought I would. Uh, no, no, on. it's uh, it's good. Honestly, based on how many tangents we went on last week with classified. <laughs> Yes, I figured we should best. just like be ready to start talking because we're probably going to go off on movie tangents in this episode as well. Mm-hmm. Um, after our discussion last week, we did talk about how like probably the best way to talk about these games is about some of the movies and things that inspire them. Yeah. yeah. And how some of the like archetypes or quips or whatever might match up with some of those movies. Since that's, you know, kind of the point of these games. Right. We, we, point. we accidentally did that on the classified ones. <laughs> we're trying to, it was a discovery. We, yes. Yeah, so we realized, oh, wait, you're just playing out movies and TV shows. <laughs> yes. So we should uh, probably talk about those. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's why I always refer to these as cinematic role-playing games now. Yeah. Uh, if if people ask me, you know, what are they came from? So what kind of games are they? Because I used to say, oh, they're comedy RPGs or they're horror RPGs, depending on which they came from we're talking about. And ultimately, cinematic seemed to be a better term right because yeah they emulate a cinematic genre but how funny or scary or serious or what have you they are is really up to you and the group to decide before you start playing just before we started recording eddie was uh, mentioning how comedy is one of those things you can discuss in that same way as a lot of people talk about safety tools yeah totally and i absolutely agree i think comedy and setting a tone for comedy is is essential to getting the most out of they came from because some people love slapstick some people love dark humor some people love satire you know lo- lots of different strains of comedy exist just as mm. they do for horror and i i i like puns and i have found out there are people that puns will actually just get make make mad yeah and, like and, it'll, it'll make people mad and i'm like i didn't realize it was that severe i just thought you thought they were like grown worthy you know yeah. and i think some people really don't like puns just because uh and it's a legitimate reason for not uh because they don't 
think in that way, you know? Right, right. Uh, mm-hmm. So not everyone can pun with as much speed as others. And I guess much like anything else, if there is someone who is constantly doing something, it can make people who can't do it feel like they're diminished or that this person is bragging. Uh, and I think you can, you know, you can apply that to pretty much any field. But if, comedy... If I, if I... Oh, sorry, yeah, sorry. I was going to actually digress um, uh, because you, you talk about puns a little bit. Um, I, I, I recently read a book called The Pun Also Rises, which is actually a history of puns. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one thing I learned – because one of the things I hear about people who don't like puns is they say they're very low class. Turns out that's not true. Yeah. Or it is true, but it's not true uh, because originally um, – historically, only people who were literate could make puns because that's part of the point of them. Yeah, is it's that, wordplay. Right, exactly. And and you have to be well-versed in words to understand them. Um, it turns out Shakespeare is the problem, actually, awesome. uh, because he started to introduce puns into his plays, yeah. which meant that common people uh, could start to appreciate wordplay. And mm. so there was actually a movement to try to make puns illegal to certain people. That's amazing. I I love the classic gatekeeping of puns. <laughs> yes, yes. And the, and when they realized that that couldn't happen anymore, then the effort was well, then we'll move to different kinds of wordplay, and puns are only for commoners. And so that's where this idea that puns are low class actually came from gatekeeping assholes. So I need to read that book because I am almost done with my book about the history of the semicolon, and I'm not even joking. I'm reading that right now. I love it. Um, and so I'm like, now I want to read The Pun Also Rises because I love etymology of words. Yes. It's yes. one of my favorite things. I'm constantly going like, where did that word come from? And Edom Online is the best uh, best resource for that that I've found. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I am I'm constantly Googling things. Like, it's like, I'll be at dinner with friends and just suddenly be like, where did that word come from? It's a weird yeah. word. And I have to look it up. There's a lot. Of, there are a lot of words, speaking of Shakespeare, that emerge uh, at least for the first time in written form in Shakespeare. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's there is debate among uh, literary scholars whether they are inventions for the sake of his art, or whether he is using language that's common to the people. In which case, it's arguably less clever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's you know, it, you, one can argue the merits of Shakespeare till the t- cows come home. I'm sure, but right. uh, that phrase itself is probably something invented by Shakespeare, invented yeah. by Shakespeare, <laughs> or, or introduced to the uh, to the populace by Shakespeare, because there are very few authors uh, from the 15th and 16th centuries, or 16th century, I should say, uh, that are quite are quite as prolific. Uh, whether we believe Shakespeare wrote all of his plays or not, there are certainly few authors that have their name attached to so many uh, pieces of work produced in such a short period. Right. So, but yeah, uh, mm-hmm. it's an interesting literary tangent. And uh, obviously, they came from is in that standard the best written, most verbose. I, <laughs> RPG. I, I do. <laughs> Because I just said I have to look things up, I have looked up until the cows come home. Uh-huh. Um, the uh, it is probably from the fact that cattle let out to pasture may only be expected to return for milking the next morning. Yeah. Um, and it was first coined by John Dutton in 1691 in his account of Ireland, the Teague Land, or a merry ramble to the wild Irish. There you go. A hundred years after Shakespeare, then so you yeah. know, uh, Shakespeare wasn't on it. Right. <laughs> 
Could should have written that into Hamlet. But yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I bring up digression partially because I just think it's interesting, but also um, to the larger point that yeah, sometimes um, different kinds of humor do strike people differently, and what might be the the quote unquote popular consensus of humor doesn't necessarily mean that it works on a personal level. So being able to have those conversations, like I know some people would probably be pretty uncomfortable with the innuendo of like say classified. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, even though we make it quite clear in the book that, yeah, you can play any character you like, yes, uh, if there is a character who is a misogynist uh, in a game like this, they will tend to be shown up to be an I- idiot or a villain. Right. Uh, mm. Innuendos tend to be quite uh, quite misogynistic in nature. They tend to be. Mm. They're not all that way, right. but a lot of them are. And so, yeah, there's lots of references to uh, to tits, and we have a, a, a you know we have character names in in the Bond films, Austin Powers especially, uh, that especially play on the idea of a woman being called something a lot of vagina or Felicity right. Shagwell. Pussy galore. Um, yeah, pussy galore. You know, there's uh, there's a lot of a lot of vagina about the place, but this is why we take it to the extreme in a game like Classified by having the Norwegian name for Felicity Shagwell as one of the villains, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, Lika Raknul, which uh, literally means uh, Lika Raw Fuck. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, which is um, utterly devoid of innuendo, but that yeah. is how, in the Norwegian dub, Felicity Shagwell is named. There is no innuendo to her name. Her name is Lika Rawfuck. Wow! Wow! So yeah, if you're watching it, you're thinking, "Jesus, this is a bit on the nose, isn't it?" If you're Norwegian, <laughs> but but for me, as an author <laughs> or, or developer or what have you, writing that character into the book as I did, uh, that's just kind of to to go to show, yeah, you can, if you push innuendos to the point that um, this character who was making snarky remarks about women is in fact a pest right. and everyone around MI6 or the agency hates him, uh, then great, give that character his comeuppance, make him look like a... A, a, a stupid part of the organization who can no longer work there. Kick him out, throw him out on his ear. Do all of that stuff because, if anything, I think that is the best way contemporaneously of, of paying off someone who is made up of innuendos and smarmy comments about what a woman's wearing. Right. You know, humiliate them, make them stupid for their remarks. And, and that's one of the the. I know we're talking about last part again, but one of the things that I think it's quietly clever about uh, Archer, for example, is just by introducing the whole phrasing gag. Yeah. Um. It, it's it's the characters recognizing what they're saying mm-hmm. and making that awkwardness part of the humor rather than the actual objectification of somebody. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's fourth wall breaking, which is right. very much uh, part of they came from, of course, the the idea that, yeah, you should be able to comment or, or arch an eyebrow if you just want to be a bit Roger Moore about it. Mm-hmm. If someone says something like, I don't know, I'll, uh, something really simple like, uh, I, I'm coming inside now, agent. Right. Uh, it's uh, it's a very simple sentence, but you could have uh, the protagonist look to camera at that point, raise an eyebrow, and then move on. Some mm-hmm. people will laugh, some people will groan. It's a brief punchline. But 
to get back to the point, and it applies to Cyclops's cave just as much as it does classified or any of the other they came from. The idea of finding out the sort of barometer, measuring the barometer of humor with your group right. before you play is smart, in my view. Um, one thing you were saying, Dixie, about scatological humor. Uh, yeah, don't like it. Uh, no, if you can um, recount, you don't have to name names or anything. What happened to you in in a game that you just? Oh yeah, no, I was I was in a game a while back. Um, that 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 was a you know moderately humorous game. It was not meant to be like a like a, a they came from game, but there was a character that got introduced that was just farting and possibly shitting himself and. I guess the people thought it was okay because it was a game where we were playing anthropomorphic animals. So they were like, oh, it'll be funny because, you know, dogs poop, I guess. And I'm like, well, everybody poops, whatever. Um, poops. That doesn't mean I want to think about it all the time. Mm. And it just got to a point where I'm like, I'm like, I don't... Like, if Dixie came across somebody who was doing this and trying to send me on a quest, I would leave. Like, I'd be like, <laughs> this is disgusting. Yeah. What the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. And so I had to kind of, like, say, like, like... On it, you know, during the game, I was I was kind of like, can we, can we not? Mm. <laughs> and then during the break, I was like, please, please get rid of that entirely. Please stop, stop with that joke, because <laughs> it really makes me uncomfortable, and it's very much not the tone that I would like for this game. I would not like to be in a game that has this tone, personally. Right. Um. Which, to the person's credit, they fixed it. Right. It, it like stopped being a thing after that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like. I understand why they think it was funny because people think that's funny, you know. Yeah. Like I'm not gonna, you know, pet shit on anybody else's sense of humor. <laughs> see that um, that was that was good. That's a good use. Yeah, of... See, 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 see. <laughs> but like, I, I also like. There's just some things that I don't think are funny. I, I also don't find sexual innuendo funny when it's directed at me. Mm -hmm. Sure. I don't mind it if it's just like you were saying, like kind of a smarmy character or a sleazy character. But once it's like once once I'm involved in it, I I just get awkward. Yeah, and I don't have good comebacks for it. Aside, like, is because when someone has said to me like a bar in real life, my comeback is usually "fuck off." You know, yeah. <laughs> I don't have a clever, funny thing to say. I'd get the fuck away from me, you creep, mm. uh, because I'm a very direct person. <laughs> um, so yeah, so like I, I always say that like I, I don't mind romance in games. I don't want to be involved. Like everybody's got their their, their their boundaries, and they do apply to humor as well. Um, you know, like so I, I love puns and wordplay. That's, I, that's my brand of humor for the most part because i'm you know an english major and i find words fascinating and i also because of the adhd i make weird ass connections in my brain mm -hmm. so that's that's my other thing is like you know as as eddie knows very well like finding things that can be sung to the teenage mutant ninja turtles theme song yes is a thing that happens in my brain almost automatically and so mm. sometimes a turn of phrase might be immediately start being like d d d d d d d d like mm -hmm. I, I i can't help it um, I cannot say it if the game is serious. Yeah, but there so, have been times where in a serious game, and I have to kind of like hide like a smile because my brain has made a connection that I think is very funny, but is very inappropriate to the table at the moment. Right, and to explain it would be would derail the table. Yeah, unfortunately yeah. now because uh, I've got a chapter of Cyclops's Cave open on one of my monitors, I'm now reading that over and over again in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle theme. So that's <laughs> your fault. In yes. fact, I'm now looking at multiple sentences that <laughs> fit that sort of syntax. Uh, so, yeah. Great. Thanks. Good job. Hey, listen. <laughs> My brain does it automatically, so I try not to inflict on other people too much. 
but you know it happens. Um, that said, Cyclops' case, which is our deep dive, obviously, yeah. is our fantasy movie and TV that came from game. Mm. Um, what sorts of inspiration would you say that you initially pulled from for it? Although I know that with Michele working on it, everybody came in and gave a bunch more inspiration. Yes, uh, Michele, uh, that, that's early on, give, mm -hmm. give credit to the co-developer here who... Uh, pitched the game that became Cyclops' Cave and very much uh, in in a fantastic turn, uh, I would say, led the development of, of this game. As, uh, but I'm, of course, privy to the initial ideas because when we were first talking about the game that became Cyclops' Cave, we were looking at, I guess, the realm of traditional epic fantasy movies. So things like uh, the Seven Voyages of Sinbad, the the Odyssey or Iliad, mm -hmm. you know, Ulysses or Odysseus, depending on where you're from and the movie you're watching, the Trials of Hercules, all those uh, sort of 1930s and 40s strong men with puffed out chest movies taking to the to the seas and slaying a creature with uh, Harryhausen-esque uh, puppetry or animation, that sort of thing. And now it expanded beyond that. And I th I'm very glad that it did. I think that while those movies are a fantastic source to pull from, and there aren't enough RPGs, quite frankly, that do explore that sort of epic fantasy, although we do it a fair amount with Scion, especially as you mm -hmm. enter Terror Incognita, uh, the the need was there to I think diversify, uh, expand the fantasy fantasy genre a little. But the one thing we didn't want to do was make this a Dungeons and Dragons RPG because you can't get away from the fact that in in the role playing, D and D is the archetypal fantasy RPG, and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. But there's no point if you're trying to make a cinematic RPG trying to make a D and D clone. So. We uh, we started looking at games that came out, or not games, movies and TV shows that came out before uh, fantasy really became an acceptable genre, critically speaking. Uh, which, you know, fantasy has had its time in the spotlight, certainly uh, in in the movies uh, for a while. They were just they were as ubiquitous as beat features as sci-fi was. Uh, but they were certainly never A features, or very rarely, until you start really getting into the late 90s. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. that, that's the time when money starts pouring in with Lord of the Rings, arguably Harry Potter, yeah. uh, <laughs> and even <laughs> even movies that aren't necessarily as well-respected, uh, um, well like Percy Jackson uh, and others. So we had to cut it off in the late 90s. So Hercules and Xena was a nice capstone there mm -hmm. because it's a bit cheap, it's a bit fun, it's it's silly, the episode... It's so it, campy, it's so yeah, campy. It's incredibly camp. Uh, the acting isn't top shelf from everybody in it. The costumes are a bit poor, so it feels like they came from. But between Hercules and Xena and going all the way back to Sinbad, you also have the wonderful 10 or 15 years where Sword and Sorcery was making its appearance. And this mm -hmm. is where the sort of, I guess, 
extra angle of fantasy comes in when you look at the Conan movies, mm-hmm. when you look at the Sword and the Sorcerer, Krull, Hawk the Slayer, these late 70s through to very early 90s. Willow as well is a very good example. Yeah, these are all the ones that like are stuck in my brain and will never leave yeah. because yeah. they're the ones I like, I mean... I was born in 85, right? Mm. So a lot of these, like, A, my parents liked, so I saw them because of my parents. But also, I just remember them being, like, on TV when I was a kid. Like, yeah. I, I I remember catching Legend on TV at one point. Yeah. Master of the Universe. Yeah, um, that's a yeah. huge influence on, yeah. on this game, I would say. Um, Neverending Story, Princess Bride, Dark Crystal. Like, mm-hmm. Labyrinth is still one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, so, yeah, there were so, so many in that time period. That once they happened, they were just like on TV. Uh, I, I I vividly remember Lady Hawk and yeah. Time Bandits and yeah. God, like there's there's so many of them in that like 80s period. Um, some better than others, uh, but they were all fun in their own way, you know. Yeah, right. and it's it's like um, this is uh, one of the games where we explicitly didn't net down zero. I think we could have done 80s fantasy films and probably could have had a very satisfying game. Probably. But I'm glad we did expand partially because um, a lot of the meta humor we find in fantasy doesn't actually live in that 80s stuff. Like I said, it's more the Harryhausen stuff and then the Hercules stuff where we were culturally getting more sophisticated about media, but television production values weren't quite up that same speed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think the sword and sorcery I love as a genre, and I, you know, I do hold it separate to, I guess, epic fantasy. Mm-hmm. But oh, yeah. I, you know, there's obviously some cross pollination. One can certainly argue Conan the Barbarian is an epic fantasy, but the interesting thing for me is you can sort of take all of the ultra-macho stuff from a movie like Conan and a lot of those 80s uh, fantasy movies mm-hmm. and parody that, uh, make make light of that. You can even make light of, God forbid, chainmail bikinis and how absolutely ridiculous they are as a concept despite right. the fact they're on display because you can have your male characters uh, you know that they, they do not have to be restricted to gender by any means in oh, yeah. l- similarly ludicrous costumes in a game like Cyclops Cave and do it with a certain amount of I guess laissez-faire attitude because fa- that's the way fantasy prior to Hercules and Xena really presented these things I think there's an awful lot of movies and TV shows mostly movies in that sword and sorcery genre that pretty much exist only because of a Frank Frazetta painting. Right. It's, it's like a studio saw a painting and thought, God damn, a hot damn. We got to make a movie out of this (laughs) because there's a man with a sword and a rippling biceps. And there's a woman clinging to his thigh and a dragon in the background and boom, there's your movie. Yeah. Uh, but I've, I'm I'm definitely having like vivid flashbacks now to both Beastmaster and Red Sonia. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> also, uh, the animated one, Fire and Ice. Yeah. Which uh, I think does have a Frazetta cover. Um, yeah. Some of that, some of the heavy metal animated stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of as even a Conan, Conan the Adventurer. I think it was that was the tune for the cartoon. Uh, oh my god, really? Yeah, it was Conan the Adventurer, I think. Oh man, I have to this up. <laughs> uh, I'm sure Dixie can find it and edit it in. No, no pressure. Uh... <laughs> Conan, 
Uh, I could be completely wrong. But yeah, there was a Saturday morning cartoon of Conan in the late 80s, early 90s. And much like there was He-Man and the Master of the Universe, Thundercats, and so forth. So, in short, not that there's such a thing as a short answer when it comes to me, uh, we had a lot of inspirational points to draw from for Cyclops' cave, with the idea that if we could touch all of these things and draw the best parts mm-hmm. of them, and the most entertaining parts, because ultimately they came from as an entertainment game, as well as a cinematic one, uh, it could hopefully capture a wider audience than just doing Sinbad and Odysseus, or just doing Conan and He-Man, for which there is already one RPG for one of those characters, and I don't know what's happened to the Master of the Universe RPG that Margaret Weiss Productions was making. I don't know if it's still going ahead. None of my business. But point is... uh, if we can capture that audience and make readers think of the movies, TV shows, Saturday morning cartoons that inspired them into getting into games like D&D, then they may want to play that sort of story through Cyclops's cave. Mm-hmm. Totally. That's awesome. Like I I also keep thinking with all the all the 80s movie references we were doing mm-hmm. about, you know, mashing some beneath the sea in there to do your like Flash Gordon's or Buckaroo Banzai's, you know. A- absolutely. Oh, yeah. Flash Gordon works wonderfully as a Cyclops cave beneath the sea crossover. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, did not to take did... Oh, sorry, carry on. I was just saying, like, if you're we're, if we're doing the late 90s, you also even go as far as Farscape, I think. Ooh, you're pushing it. I think Farscape it is a critical a powerhouse with nothing parodyable. <laughs> <laughs> it has two puppets, though. Yes, uh, it, uh, Farscape does work. You can use, uh, uh, you can definitely use Cyclops' cave to run Farscape. Um, but but brief but, but digression. Um, not uh, only uh, Matthew was correct. There was one in the adventure, which is a nineteen eighty three cartoon. Yeah, I, I already looked it up and listened to it. Fair enough. Um, there's a right? second one, which is worse. But more close. important to me is that um, Conan the Adventure had the exact same voice cast as Beast Wars. Ah. Uh. The exact same? Well, I mean, not the exact same. I mean, like, uh, Scott McNeil, Gary Kalk, uh, Kathleen Barr, these are all people who also worked on Beast Wars. So, like, it was, like, a, a large intersection of the Beast Wars voice cast. Huh. It, it did what... And uh, cartoons were really good for this. And, again, leveling this sort of accusation of Thundercats and Masters of the Universe as well. It presented a, a party of heroes rather than a single protagonist. Uh, Thundercats is better at that than He-Man, one could argue. He-Man usually had one partner in an episode, and maybe Orko. Uh, But it was usually a focus on a different ally, you know, per episode. But it's easy enough to sort of amalgamate it all in your head. Uh, The newer Revelations series on Netflix does a better job of having a party of Mm -hmm. Master of the Universe than the original Master of the Universe. Although it does have Buffy as a voice actress, and I can't unhear it. Uh, yeah. But I think she does wonderfully. I I really like Revelations. I uh, I do too. I love Sarah Michelle Gellar, but every now and then she will say something in a certain phrase, and I will <laughs> and my brain is just like Buffy because I've seen Buffy right. so many times. Same yeah. with Mark Hamill playing Skeletor. Everyone's like, is a yeah. bit Joker. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. gets yeah. Jokery. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that was actually uh, in my view, and I love Mark Hamill, but that was my my pick for the weakest parts of. Revelation yeah, was same. Mark Hamill's voice work, not because I don't like it, but because it kept taking me out of the show. 
Right, because it, it, it's like, oh, that's you don't hear Skeletor, you hear Mark Hamill. <laughs> yeah, it was very much his ah ha, ha, kind of right. Yeah, <laughs> back of the throat, uh, drilling away at his vocal cords. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, anything that can evoke that idea of a party of heroes. Uh, we watched uh, that awful Hercules movie over New Year last yeah. year for our special. Mm-hmm. And again, although the supporting characters weren't exactly uh, <laughs> the deep end of the pool, uh, you still got to see different characters I guess specializing. You got Hercules doing all the heroic stuff. You got the uh, attractive one seducing people, and you had the comic relief Italian who kept falling over and bumping his head. And while it's not necessarily the best advert for for a fantasy party, it's like the formative stages of how to form a party. Um, these are your indicators. This is what your characters are good at. Now see if you can apply this in a semi-heroic way. Um, the fool can do things to fool and uh, and make you know make enemies uh, underestimate him, while Hercules gets behind them to stab them in the back, while the seducer is luring I don't know a particularly romantic lich out of his cave so you can get to his phylactery. Um, a necromantic lich. Uh, oh, very good. He puts uh, the romance in there. Uh, yes. I think we actually did that in the title for our John Burke episode. I love it. Episodes <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there's, I know I will always repeat it, but there is a hell of a lot you can do with all of the They Came Froms, and Cyclops' Cave is no exception to that. You just yeah. have to look at the source inspiration. Yeah. I, you- all I have are our ideas for watching. We're recording these. I'm constantly like, I can do this. I can do that. And I just realized that even though there was an RPG made for this back in the 90s, the game I most want to run with this is, I think, Pirates of Dark Water. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Because you've, you've, you've got your built-in puppet character, which is one of my favorite archetypes because you've got the monkey bird. Mm-hmm. Um, all, the, all the other characters are like very obvious what they are. Um, and also, I can rewatch Pirates of Dark Water, um, which people forget that has like Jodie Benson and like Tim Curry and like really big voice actors in it. Yeah, no, it it was it was Hanna Barbera's attempt to make a, a proper serious '90s cartoon, and it just didn't find traction. Sadly. And I I loved it, and I was so sad when like there were just no more episodes. Yeah, because I was you know a, a, a child, and I was kind of like, what do you mean they're not going to tell me how everything ends? <laughs> like I don't like I was like seven. I was like I don't understand. That this cannot have an ending because I didn't understand things like TV cancellations. Oh. Um, but like, I I, I do want to talk a little bit about the archetypes because there are six in this game. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, one and, more than any other game. And about what kinds of characters you would do with each one. Um, once again, just touching on like pop culture, if if that's what we want to do. So you have the champion, which is clearly your Conan, right? Yeah, I would say so. Or your uh, your Tila, your mm-hmm. Shira, your He Man. If you want to go with that, or uh, I guess the champion is certainly the easiest to define because so right. many of those Frank Rosetta paintings, so many of those epic fantasies will have a hero with a big sword, and that is their character. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, champions can, of course, be deeper than that, and I would certainly hope so in a role playing game, but that said, it being a game that's supposed to emulate that cinematic genre. 
you can have a champion who lives and dies by the sword, sleeps with the sword, eats with the sword, and <laughs> and knows nothing but the sword, and it becomes an entertaining archetype at that point. Hence, why it's an archetype. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the reason it's called the champion is because you can also lean toward that sort of paladin cause of I am a champion because I worship this god or because my wife made me promise that I would never give up the hunt for XXX on her di- deathbed right. or you know or, or my husband promised me um I well told me that I had to rescue our children and he's uh, far too injured to come along on the adventure himself so I have to lift the family sword for the first time mm-hmm. you know there there's lots of ways you can get into the champion but yeah Conan yeah. He-Man. Uh, He-Man is such a ridiculous name, isn't it? Oh, it is. I have, I have always giggled a bit about that one. Because, like, She-Ra, at least, Ra doesn't mean girl. Yeah, this... Like, her name isn't, like, she-woman. like she woman. Mm-hmm. This, yeah, it's a bit of a tautology, I think. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who-Man? He-Man. Ah. <laughs> well, I mean... That man. It... It's better than his friend Fisto, let's just say that. <laughs> oh, Fisto. I don't know. Yeah, Fisto and Ram Man <laughs> really got the short end of the Masters of the Universe straw. Uh, them, Stinkor, and... Uh, yeah. I always felt bad that the tiger was named Cringer when he wasn't Battle Cat. Yeah, yeah well, let, let's be honest. Prince Adam is pretty damn cruel to that <laughs> cat. It's clear he doesn't want to go into combat, but damn it, I'm going to make you... Every- <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make this armor magically appear on your body and you will turn into a ravening beast. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Prince Adam's got a lot to answer for. But again, Revelations, uh, not just the book in the Bible, is a really good examination of these characters as if they had depth. Yeah, it is it, it is so different from what they did with the new Shira series, right? Mm, right? Where they really updated it for modern audiences. This one I think feels at home in like almost an 80s style. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it's definitely got a lot more depth. It's got a lot more character like ca- character building. Um I was surprised how much of the first part of it was just focusing on like Gila once again. Yeah. Cuz yeah. I loved her obviously as a kid and but she was always like that, you know, sidekick cute girl character. Whenever she was around, yeah, and she 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 leads the first half of Masters. So and yeah. it was fun to see all the uh, people online lose their hats over. Oh <laughs> God, this is supposed to be a He-Man TV show. Why is Teela the lead character? And it's called Masters of the Universe, dickhead. Yeah, it's not called uh, There's a lot of them. You're lucky it's not Fisto leading the chart. <laughs> <laughs> I'd watch that. <laughs> the Fisto special. It's so special. That sounds like just a punch, He just punches people for 20 minutes. Just bang, yeah, bang, let, let's bang. say that. Um, <laughs> so, we, so we've covered champion. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, I like, once again, to show that it, it, it does have a lot of, like, depth to it, we, we got all these sort of characters, but also I would argue that somebody like the animated Mulan is a champion. Yeah. Right? And a lot of people wouldn't go there, but that, that could be a really interesting take on the character, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's, there's all kinds of things you can do. And also generally when I watch this, this is all Matthew's fault. Cause now when I watch certain movies, I start like putting characters and archetypes mm-hmm. and I'll be like, Oh, that person is clearly this thing, you know? Oh, and out of this team of five people, I can figure out who each of them are very quickly for like the beneath the sea. Um, so I have been enjoying thinking about this when it comes to Cyclops' cave, because that, that, that really is like probably 
probably aside from Beyond the Grave, this is the genre that I'm most familiar with. As you know, I'm not like a big spy movie person. Mm-hmm. Um, and as much as I like like MST3K stuff and B movies, like I don't watch as many of those anymore. But I I grew up with a lot of this stuff, so I'm like yeah. very into it. So after that, we have the Dreamer. So the Dreamer is one of the hardest ones to codify, if you like, because okay. uh, I think uh, no, no, the Dreamer wasn't the last one added to the roster. I just recalled who is, so we'll get there. Uh, so the Dreamer is very much your your Willow character, uh, Gabrielle. Mm. Uh, it's a character who sort of hungers for adventure. Uh, they are often going to be the, I guess, the everyman character, but they mm-hmm. also fall within the role of bard or minstrel uh, entertainer, someone who is more likely to be socially driven than the champion sword swinging or fist plunging. Uh, I think <laughs> no, but it's Fisto again. Yes, is Fisto a dreamer? Well, he can dream, but he will always be known as Fisto. It's like that um, that joke about no, nope. actually, you know what? I'm not going to go into that joke. Um, <laughs> oops, oops. So, <laughs> there's a time and a place, and the Onyx Pathcast is neither. Um, so yeah, the dreamer is probably my favorite archetype, and I oh. because I am a difficult individual i often go for these kinds of things i like social characters as a general rule oh yeah but but i especially like social characters that aren't defined in a way that says you are a sexual god or you are dedicated to romance or Mm -hmm. or you have to be playing the lute or you're right. a con artist, the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Th- this gives an awful lot of freedom to be any or all of these things. Uh, yeah, this is the, your Jaskier from The Witcher. I character. was about exactly about to name him because <laughs> uh, while he can, he varies between dreamer and scoundrel. I would suggest oh, yeah. dreamer is probably the closest because he genuinely does want to embark upon an adventure and tell a tale where he is the hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though he will not do anything remotely heroic most of the time. Uh, what he would love nothing more is to walk away from a story thinking, you know what, I actually saved the day here. And I think the Dreamer is a wonderful role for that. If you did want to start exploring Lord of the Rings, uh, you could easily put any of the Hobbits in as Dreamers. Yep. I was, yeah. that, that, that was my like initial thought. And then I was like, I don't know if I want to bring up Hobbits, but like I've also been watching Rings of Power. Yeah. So I'm like, I've got Hobbits on the brain right now. And I'm definitely just kind of like, yeah, no, I can, I can see that with, uh, with any of them, but specifically with the ones who aren't Frodo, like yes, yeah, the the ones who, well, who aren't being corrupted. Bilbo right. is Bilbo's an interesting one because I guess novel Bilbo, if you were to look at the Hobbit, is more of a dreamer than movie Bilbo, who seems, as played by Martin Freeman, to be jaded from the point he leaves his house, right? Um. But, you know, we watched a Hobbit movie for one of our New Year rituals, and we're never doing that again. <laughs> Did we really watch it, though? Yes. Uh, um, inexplicably for three hours or however long it lasted. Uh, but I was, I was, uh, and I was skimming through uh, things. And initially, at first, I was also like, can I turn my head around Dreamer? Because uh, you're right, it, it, it's not something that, that's, I want to say that intuitive, because. Once you get it, you start seeing it everywhere. Yeah. Um, but I realized it's kind of the kid in every 80s movie where the kid's brought into financial situations. Very much so, yeah. So they, I was also thinking, like, you know, the lead of, like, Last Starfighter would also be a dreamer. Excellent, excellent example that doesn't get raised nearly often enough. 
the, the Dreamer, I guess, runs parallel to the Innocent, uh, the Everyman, the Dupe. Uh, so the Dupe is my favourite archetype in Beyond the Grave, and is again the one that the most people, I think, look at and think, well, why would I want to play a Dupe? Right. And it's because it's a character who often gets by on luck and happenstance, mm-hmm. doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily understand everything that's going on, which means you can enter a story with absolutely no knowledge of the right. characters and the setting. It's the Abbott and Costello of the monster films, yeah. Exactly. And it also means you can lean into the comedy and the pratfalls mm-hmm. and fail more without necessarily feeling like a failure. Your, well, yeah. your character is mm-hmm. almost set up to fail being the dreamer, and that means the sort of heroic comeback at the end for me as a player is more satisfying. Yeah. I mean, also there are so many TV shows, uh, especially more, more modern ones, but just in general where like the kind of heart character is one of the main, is, is the main character yeah. um, because they are the audience stand in. So often if you have a, sh- a, a show or a movie about like high powered people, you're going to have somebody who's kind of more baseline. Yeah. So that the audience can identify with them, because like if you think about like Steven Universe, that's Steven's character. If you think about Shira, it's probably Bo, because um, he doesn't have powers. He's just a really good archer, and he's also the one who keeps bringing all the friends together. Um, got like Fry and Futurama. Yeah, like yeah. he's he's this character, and like yes, these are all examples that you probably wouldn't play initially in Cyclops' Cave, but if you could have those characters as touchstones. That's really, really helpful. Um, usually whoever the like kind of generic character is. I mean, in the original trilogy of Star Wars, Luke is that at least in the first movie, you know? Yeah. And, and I mean, I think you can play a, I mean, obviously it's a comedy game, but like you don't have to play a, a bumbling character for the dreamer because I'm thinking of like Atreyu. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, in Never Ending Story. I mean, he kind of just gets dragged along through a lot of the plot. Mm-hmm. But by him being in those moments, he befriends people that ultimately causes the plot to happen. So he's very much the heart of the story and is our viewpoint character. But he's not he, – he doesn't make mistakes and run into walls or any of that goofy nonsense. I mean, he, he, he is just in over his head. Yeah. Yep, totally. And, like, this this would also be the kind of, like, tag-along kid, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you ever want to just go on a deep dive in like TV tropes, you could probably find a million examples of all of these. Oh yeah, if you if someone made a TV tropes page of they came from, uh, it would just explode. Yes, uh, it would take over TV tropes <laughs> <laughs> because it's a trope filled game. Yes, very much so. But yeah, so that's that's just one of those characters that like it, it, it can be hard to define at first. But I think that once people really kind of like lean into thinking about like your your Gabrielle from Xena, et cetera, mm-hmm. it, it makes a lot of sense. You know, this, this is the character who comes to somebody else and calms them down or, you know, helps helps them out. And yes, at, at, at the end of the day, they can be their own hero. So, yeah, I like it. So the next one would be the, the Inhuman. So yeah, the Inhuman is so the Inhuman has an interesting name because, right. and this is deliberate. It's to make people think, "Oh, this is a monster," because mm. in most fantasy genres of most fantasy movies, when a beast man is approaching the town, the people quake in fear, and then he sits down at the tavern to have a pint because there's nothing particularly bestial about the beast man except Mm -hmm. he's bigger, hairier, and more thirsty than the average human. Right. Uh, And the inhuman bears all of those traits and stereotypes. I think the inhuman... 
while I'm going to completely fail at this point to pull any good examples from from fantasy, it could be a centaur, could be a cyclops, could be a giant, could be a mer person, mm-hmm. uh, or, or gorgon. There, there is a lot of room for for being an inhuman. And it isn't just about looking different because the tropes very much lend themselves to powers that the rank and file humanoid, whether that humanoid is a human, an elf, a dwarf, or what have you, would biolog- physiologically be incapable of, like hefting a sword that is three times their size. Um, the Inhuman pulls a lot, interestingly, from video games as well as the movies and TV shows we've been talking about. Uh, there's a strong sort of Final Fantasy feel, to my mind, to the Inhuman. Uh, you can always, almost always recruit one or two characters in Final Fantasy for your party that aren't humans. And often, their people go inexplicably unmentioned in the mm-hmm. entire game of Final Fantasy. They just happen to be around with you. Yeah, and you, you get a lot more yeah. background on in the online versions for the yeah. non-human characters, but that's about it. Yeah. Uh, so, and humans don't all have to be massive hulks, but again, to pull on the Masters of the Universe uh, thread, especially if you look at the sort of legion that follows Skeletor, there's an awful lot of inhuman types there. None of them look the same. I think this is part of why Masters of the Universe is so abidingly popular, mm-hmm. because the characters are so colourful and they are each of them unique. There are not, There's not two beast men, uh, although again, I think in Revelations you see an army of the bloody things, but there, there's only one beast man, only one merman, only one etc, etc, etc. And if you portray your own Cyclops' cave game like that, you can play that character. And not only do they gain an air of uniqueness to them, uh, they will have abilities that other characters potentially do not. Uh, I think, obviously, while the game leans towards a certain element of comedy and camp, it is also a good way to explore things like prejudice and gameplay, uh, if you can do so sensitively and intelligently because a lot of those fantasies that have a character who doesn't fit in with their surroundings is is picked upon. It's the old dwarfs versus elves thing in Lord of the Rings. Um, while I wouldn't mm-hmm. necessarily put either of them in as an inhuman in this game, I don't think that really matches up. It's, it's a good example of, well, this is something to overcome and to re-educate the NPCs or supporting characters on as part of your character arc. Um, so which I think could be a lot of fun, especially if one is following the usual sort of heroic journey uh, that these movies tend to. Now, would you use this trope at all for like gentle giant sidekick types, or would you save that for the puppet? I think there's a bit of crossover there. Okay. Uh, I think a gentle giant could definitely be an inhuman because... Again, the Inhuman has a lot of tropes that rely on physical prowess. Uh, that from the D and D standpoint, there's so a like, lot of barbarian about them. So, like Fezzik from Princess Bride. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that that's an interesting one because he is, and Andre the Giant was styled as a giant, right? Um, 
they, an inhuman can have any personality, of course. Right. Can okay. be can be friendly, can be rude, can be smart, can be not. But what they are capable of because of what they are is part of what defines them in this game as an inhuman archetype. Now, the character within that archetype can be as varied as the winds, but I think Fezzik is a very good example of an inhuman. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Especially if you look at his book portrayal versus... Because you, you don't get his backstory, right, in the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you read the book, he's like... He was like the size of like, you know, a, a large man by the time he was five years old. Yeah. And got ostracized and all this stuff. And so like, even though he is he is a human person, um, because of his his size and, his, and, and other things, like he is treated as a non-human. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think would be a really interesting character to play. Yeah, I think the key there is understanding that despite the fact they are called inhuman, doesn't mean they are not human. Right. It is. It is how they are often perceived, uh, and that may well be negative, but that does lend itself to storytelling, and I think that's that's part of the fun. You don't have to go around saying I am an inhuman, although you right. may do while rending your clothes and saying um, Why won't they treat me like a human? You know, play with that <laughs> tragedy. Uh, it's it can be fun and uh, and a and an interesting experience at the table. Totally. No, I am. I'm a fan of that. I always like 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 I was saying because I am a fan of the like kind of gentle giant trope. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'm thinking also of like Ludo from Labyrinth. Yeah, would be a yeah. fun one to play. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Or if if you want to go into the MCU, a character like Groot would be a really good Inhuman. Yep, because he is very strong and does all kinds of things. But you know, he's clearly a tree. <laughs> also, honestly, in like Marvel and DC, there are tons of examples of this character. So I'm sure people can think of something to you know go off of. Yeah, the Hulk is uh, arguably an yeah. Inhuman. Yep. Yeah. The thing. Yeah. Man thing. Uh, so yeah, such a ridiculous name, isn't it, for a ripoff of Swamp Thing? I think <laughs> like, it, I, I think Man thing. thing is a ripoff of Swamp Thing. I I could be wrong, but there, I do. Th- there's a lot of debate both ways. <laughs> yeah. Although my my favorite comic book title of any time is when they did a double sized uh, issue of Man Thing and called it Giant Sized Man Thing. Giant Sized Man Thing. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Uh, so the next archetype I want to talk about is the puppet, which is my personal yes. favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, we're already talking forever, so this might just be an extra long episode. We'll we'll, we'll see where we land. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the puppet. Do you want to talk a little bit about them? But I have, I have a million examples of this one, obviously. You go for it, Dixie. Oh, okay. So puppets is where you can have your like fairy character, your brownies and willow, your uh, orcos, right? Right. Mm-hmm. This, this, this is generally your kind of like sidekick character. That is probably magical of some sort. Um, and I think that's fun because who doesn't love like having the weird little sidekick, right? Yeah. And that was such a big thing in 80s um, fantasy. And also even, like I said, in a lot of animated shows from, 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 from that time. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, it, it, it's Snarf. It's Orko. It, you know, it's, it's, it's Archimedes. It's, yep. Scooby-Doo. Yeah, no, it's it's I, I can't think of his name, but it's the monkey bird from Pirates of Dark Water, because um, almost every show had like, OK, here's all your cast of characters. And this one is a weird little guy. Yep. <laughs> here's your weird little guy. There's it, one in the Masters of the Universe movie that has no bearing on anything from the cartoon or comic book. I'm trying to remember what his name is. He's 
Um, well, I guess he's supposed to be the Orko. He's more like a dwarf in mm. in the movie. Uh, mm. It's a really horrible prosthetic. Oh job. yeah. And it, I remember as a child seeing that movie and thinking, "What's he supposed to be?" <laughs> right. And yeah, I guess it would be a puppet. Uh, it's interesting Eddie mentioned Farscape earlier because, you know, anything that uses the wonderful works of the Henson workshop, mm-hmm. uh, such as Rigel, or basically any creature that appears in a Monster of the Week episode of Farscape, mm-hmm. uh, is a puppet, literally, yep. and therefore can be a puppet in this game too. Yep. Uh, so yeah, there's there's a hell of a lot of uh, scope. There's a broad field of puppets. And yeah, in, in my in my head, using they came from language. The way I kind of distinguish inhuman from puppet is is literally like, are we putting an actor in makeup, or do we have to build a puppet to represent this? If that it's actor exactly makeup, it's it. probably an inhuman. If it's a puppet, it's the puppet. Yep. Yep. And I mean, like I was saying earlier, you could argue one way or the other for like Ludo. You know, sure. who's like a guy in a suit, but also is a puppet, is also a puppet. Right. Um, and also, uh, like, what, I'm going to keep digging in the, like, labyrinth, you know, bag here because I'm so familiar <laughs> with it. Sure. But also, Hoggle is a really interesting example of that. Yeah. Because Hoggle is a person in a suit, but is clearly also a puppet. Yes. Um, especially because the face had, like, multiple puppeteers doing it at all times. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and also, a lot of times, the puppet character can be, like, kind of tricksy, kind of, like, you know... Maybe not not telling the whole truth all the time. Definitely, maybe has some magicy things happening um, because, like like I said, that that is your your fairies and your goblins and whatever else you want to represent with that. Um, so often, your puppet will technically also be inhuman, yeah. but in a very different way. Right. I mean, it comes down to does the character have to do stunts in the movie? <laughs> if they do, which means they're be more physical than probably a human. If not, then they're going to float around and just spout fun not lines or whatever, then yeah, probably is more of a puppet. But the, but mm-hmm. like a lot of the great archetypes is that um, once you get them, you can find lots of examples of it, but also the more nuanced the character becomes, the more they're going to slide around in those archetypes more. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, oh, and of course, uh, we mentioned Sarah Michelle Geller. Wasn't there an episode or, or a couple of episodes with a ventriloquist dummy? Was it Scarface or something? Uh, I, I thought his name was Slappy. That is Slappy, yeah, yeah. Uh, He's uh, just a sort of gangster-like voice. Yeah, there's there's one episode in, I think, season one. The, it, it's, it's, it's a really early episode, and it's the talent show episode, hmm. where the dummy is actually like a I bet spoiler for this episode of Buffy. Um <laughs> they they think that the dummy's evil, but he's actually like a a a monster hunter vampire slayer type who's been trapped in a dummy. Yeah. And he's oh, trying to help yeah, kill somebody. I, I don't know. It's 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 a whole thing. But yes, the, you can definitely the, do o- that. Only reason I remember Slappy um uh, actually isn't that the name of the Ventriloquist dummy in Goosebumps? Yeah, I just realized that I might have gotten this met- like completely messed up, so I'm going to look it up. But but anyway, yes, um, the only reason I remember this... Uh, His name Ventrilo- is Sid. Sid, yes. Uh, it, I remember Sid in any form was because for some reason he was one of the playable characters in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer video game. Wait, really? really? Yep. I don't think uh, I ever played that game. It wasn't that good. It, you know, it was like a sort of, uh, I guess, school. Oh, it's in the non-canon game Chaos Bleeds. Uh, yeah, you just run around killing things that keep spawning Diablo style without the class. 
Weird. <laughs> wow. wow. Um, but yeah, I mean, so there's there's all kind, and also it was kind of funny because you mentioned Buffy, and I thought you were going to do talk about the episode of Angel, <laughs> where they were turned into puppets. Oh well, yeah, all of you could play puppets. <laughs> <laughs> Just change your archetype for a session. It's actually not that difficult to do that if you want to. I mean, the only things you have to change on your character sheet is your tropes. So you just switch a few out for a for a session or two. All of you are puppets, and then by the end of it, uh, the curse is undone. Yeah, exactly. put your old tropes back if you want. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah. So I mean, there's there's a lot of of places you could put this, and also like I think what one of the other things that I think of when I I when I go between the Inhuman and the puppet, as you were kind of saying, Eddie, is also just size of the character sometimes informs that yeah, to me. True, good point. Because in like for me, the like larger characters are almost always more like Inhuman ish. Yeah. And if they're like flitting around and being weird, but I think of them as puppets, but that's not a, a rule. You can no. be a, a giant puppet or a tiny inhuman. Yeah, which is kind of how my brain sees it. Yeah, Hawk the Slayer has got a, is a very good example. Uh, not many people would ever use that to start a sentence. Uh, <laughs> is uh, actually it has a lot of abiding love from a lot of people uh, of a show that has an inhuman sort of with the with the player group with the protagonist group and yeah. also has some puppets like characters as well and it has a nice division. You know, it's it's a bit cheap. Uh, by today's standards, but it's uh, it's a good example of what we're going for with Cyclops's cave. Totally, totally. So after the puppet, we have the sage. So the sage is, for want of a better term, your magic user, mm-hmm. uh, or wise elder, or uh, or such like. Now it was important to put the sage in because we wanted a character who could properly use magical effects. Uh, because uh, while well, we're not going to have enough time to go into them in this deep dive, uh, mm-hmm. that is our uh, our sorcery system for cinematics in this game. And while everyone can access magical effects, uh, sages can do so for a lower cost. Uh, and yeah, they are your characters who will 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 practice the dark arts or will speak with the gods or summon demons or otherwise just make really bad rotoscope effects on the screen while they wave their hands in a vague fashion. Uh, they, they can come with a traditional long white flowing beard or conical hat, um, or they can be um, strange mystics who live up mountains and only, only descend when a time of crisis is near. Right. I mean that they appear in a lot of fantasy. Yeah. Uh, the the archetypal wizard is, I suppose, Merlin is probably the the point that most people would look to, and then we can kind of jump ahead by one thousand five hundred years or so to get to Gandalf. Yep. Uh, but beyond that, there are an awful lot of stories, myths, whether we look at uh, characters like Daedalus mm-hmm. in the Odyssey uh, as a very much a sage character. Uh, right. So it doesn't just have to be magic. He has mechanical brilliance too. Mm-hmm. Uh, or whether you're looking at, and now the name escapes me, The uh, what's the name of the wise man the mystic in conan now um oh no i think it was just the wizard i don't think it's mako's (laughs) character i don't think he has another name yeah um but yeah 
uh, you can go an awful lot of ways with this. And of course, your characters don't just have to be wizened wizards. They yeah, can, it can be... be the sorceress from He Man. Exactly. Yeah, they I've can be. Loved. Yeah, matriarch-like characters like the Sorceress. They can be seductive with their power, uh, mm -hmm. especially when you start looking into some of the late 80s sword and sorcery movies like like Sword and the Sorcerer. Mm -hmm. uh, the That seems to start dressing up wizards as being more crafty and manipulative. Uh, that, that's something we did a lot of with uh, Cyclops' Cave. It's why there isn't a straightforward magic user class. It's because in pretty much every uh, fantasy movie and medium, pretty much, not all, uh, the anyone who is sort of deeply invested in spellcasting is evil. Yeah. And so in the bestiary, which is pretty expansive, you've mm -hmm. got a fair number of malevolent spellcasters, whereas the sage, sage is a bit more of a neutral term. You don't have to go around flinging spells. You can just be the master of a certain art or field of arcane knowledge. It, it, but it also seems like you can be just a hero who uses knowledge uh, instead of like physicality. Yeah. Um, so something like Prospero from Tempest, you know, it's yeah, like yeah. very much the protagonist, but he uses his brain as opposed to, and of course, does learn magic too. But I mean, like it's, you know, or or the Doctor, uh, to use Doctor Who reference. Yep. Um, I mean, that also would be a very good stage character. Yeah, uh, very much so. Yeah, I definitely feel like um, there are, you know, this one probably, aside from the champion, is the easiest one to define. Because yeah. I feel like everyone kind of knows what a, 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 a sage would be. Mm -hmm. And also the just incredible range of personalities that they could have, right? Because yeah. you could have, like, from from your Gandalf and your Merlins, right, who are incredibly competent, you could go down to your Rincewinds and your Shmendrix yep. for yeah, yeah. terrible wizards. Yes. And it's all there. It's all fun. Um, I Like, I... I the, the more we talk about this, the more I'm like, there are some Discworld books people might want to read if they want to play this game. Because Discworld <laughs> yeah. does such a good job at playing with the tropes. The color um, of magic in particular, because yeah, it's that's a very explicit deconstruction of the tropes. Definitely the first two are the ones that I always recommend if somebody wants to get into the like fantasy part of it. Because mm -hmm. the, they, 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 they go together. You've got your Rincewind and your Two Flower. You, you, you get to meet Cohen the Barbarian, mm -hmm. who is you know very <laughs> old and has no teeth. Uh, he's a big fan of soup. Um, and like all of it is just satirizing these these same things that we're talking about. Yeah. Um, and would give you really good ideas of, of how to make somebody funny. Like I love I love Rincewind so much. Mm -hmm. This whole thing is that he has a really evil spell stuck in his head, so he can't do other magic really well at all. They're because, all scared of it. Yeah. So it's 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 just it's just a funny trope, and also his his wizard hat is spelled wrong. You know, it's just funny. I just realized that uh, True Flower is also an excellent dreamer. Example. Two Flower is an excellent dreamer because Two Flower is eternally optimistic about everything. Yes. <laughs> even when he's being dangled off cliffs. Uh, and in the movie version, played by Sean Astin, which is yes, very fun. Yes, it's a fantastic job. Uh, definitely enjoy the, 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 the live action. Don't watch the animated ones. They're very bad. I have seen all the animated ones. They're they're not they're not good. But the live action ones that they did for either like Sky TV or BBC4, I think. Yeah. Those are fun. Um, so yeah, we, we have one more archetype. Yeah, uh, well, just before we leave the sage, oh, oh, okay. uh, just one last thing on it. Uh, so we spoke about Farscape, 
You know, you've yep. got a character like Zan, who yeah, is of course. certainly a sage. Uh, but we also mentioned the Witcher. Mm-hmm. And yeah. while it's a little out of the scope of our era, uh, I think it still it portrays a magical academy uh, of a huge variety of sages because they, these spellcasters in the witch universe aren't going around using spells like D and D magicians. Right. Uh, as a general rule, they sometimes do, especially mm. in the event of battle. But most of the time, it's pretty subdued, and a lot of them are pretty damn selfish or power hungry. But they are an excellent array of what sages can be like. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they can be political manipulators. They can be advisors. They can just be wise heads of councils. There, there's a again a lot of room for for sages, and the witches yeah. are great piece of source material for also that. also the ice to die from wheel of time yeah i uh, would be a really good example because like if you watch the show which which i've been watching once once they go into their like area you do really get to see all those different personalities even though all their magic is kind of similar but they use it for different things right that's mm. why they're like all color coded and stuff so that's that's that that's also a, a good inspiration for it yeah all right so finally we have finally the scoundrel the scoundrel which I think also is fairly self-explanatory um, because, you know, I think most people know what like a like roguish character is. But who are some touchstones that you would think of for this? Uh, so Bowtie in Conan is, I guess, the archetypal rogue, a uh, scoundrel, a thief. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone who is still quite prepared to involve themselves in combat, but will do so in a more tricksy way. Uh, you know, f- set up traps, fire from a distance, that sort of thing. Uh, I also think that, um, was it Mad uh, Mc? <laughs> I always get like there, there's a there's a there are a few words I can't pronounce, and the character Val Kilmer's character from Willow, uh, who Mad Martigan, Mad Martigan, yeah, that, yeah, there, it, which I only a... know because my friend named his son that. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, really? His name is Son Mad Mortigan? Yeah, they call him Mads. Oh, well, that, that's fine. Or Mars. Fine. Yeah. Uh, like Mickelson. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I yeah, for some reason I want to start adding mooks to his name. But anyway, I put him as more of a scoundrel than I do a champion. Uh, the, the, there's that sort of Han Solo. Obviously, Han Solo mm-hmm. is a scoundrel in, if you're playing the Star Wars RPG. But there's that attitude of, yeah, I'm doing it for myself. Or, yeah, I'm just doing it to get the princess. Or, yeah, I'm just going to do it to get gold from the king. That I think scoundrels can be without necessarily having to be thieves poking the floor with a 10-foot pole. Mm -hmm. Uh, Scoundrels can be any blend of selfishness and heroism. Also, like, honestly, everyone that Douglas Fairbanks played ever. The Thief of Bagtad, Robin Hood, Three Musketeers, yep. like, Zorro, like... Yeah, these, I mean... These you, are all rogy characters. Yeah, you can go back to, hell, uh, Errol Flynn. You know, Robin Hood is uh, is a great example of a scoundrel. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can look at pretty much, to go back to our Hercules movies, your seducer characters are likely to be scoundrels. Mm-hmm. Um it's so while the dreamer is my favorite to come up with a concept for the the scoundrel is my favorite one just to i guess have pure fun because it's a license to to not follow the rules 
of the society in which you find your character. When you're right. playing the scoundrel, you're you're not necessarily going to be the the dick at the table that says, "Oh, I can do it because I'm chaotic neutral," but yeah, you are potentially playing a bit of a dick. Um, yeah, I mean it's, but, it's 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 your Jack Harkness, you know. You yeah, like yeah. probably later is good, but like there are a lot of pre- pretty much anybody you could think of as like kind of a swashbuckler trope. Yes. It's probably that. Um, That's yeah. the thing. I'm I'm drawn to characters that are likely to embark on arcs. Yeah, exactly. And while arcs are, of course, possibilities for every single archetype in all of the They Came From games, in Cyclops Escape, I see the Dreamer and the Scoundrel as the most likely to experience an arc without much work being put in. Uh, that doesn't mean I'm lazy. I just that I, I like to pick my battles, and scoundrels have the opportunity right from the off to start off as an asshole mercenary, and by the end of the session, you know what? You're not as bad as I thought. And yeah, you can you can flower that up and make it a little more interesting. But mm-hmm. it's 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 an entry level concept. I think it's nice. It's simple, and the tropes are among the most fun. For any of the characters in the in the game, yeah, because it's 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 a uh, it's Flynn Rider from Tangled, you know. Like there's there's so many characters that you could go off. It's th- 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 this is your Loki character, right? Yeah, this is where you get your like lovable trickster. And I mean, if you look at modern day archetypes, uh, I would say that Doug Judy from Brooklyn Nine Nine is a scoundrel <laughs> <laughs> uh, for, for that same reason. Like he's he's really lovable. People love him, but he's also an unrepentant criminal. Um, I'm pretty sure there's there's probably also a TV trope page on like the like lovable rogue, da, 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 you know, yeah. and and you could probably find a billion points of inspiration on there because like that is a very common character type. Um, that's that's your Disney's Aladdin, that's Samir Sinbad's, you know, all all sorts of characters fall into this. Um, some comic characters occasionally do it, like yeah. So there's there's a whole bunch of stuff that you could pull on for this that a lot of people are probably familiar with. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'd say Ramirez in Highlander as a scoundrel. Mm-hmm. Um, as that's a book an awful lot of, okay, movie an awful lot of role players look to for inspiration, even now. Uh, inexplicably, mm-hmm. I've never liked Highlander. But that said, I, I appreciate that people, <laughs> people do. And Ramirez is a very charismatic character for a Spaniard with a Scottish accent. Right. Um, oh, also, obviously, Inigo Montoya. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Like an excellent scoundrel. Oh, well, yeah. And I think Inigo would uh, kick Ramirez off a cliff and into the sea. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, it would be the champion scoundrel. We can only hope. <laughs> can I, can um, only say good things about uh, Inigo Montoya. Agreed. Uh, just a quick question. You said at the beginning that one of these was added late. Yes. Which one? Uh, now I'm reluctant to say. You know what? I'm going to leave it a mystery because uh, Michaela, if uh, he listens to this, can chime in on the Onyx Path Discord okay. uh, to give some of his thoughts. Uh, I appreciate Michaela if you are listening and we didn't invite you on. That's very rude of us, I know, but you know, uh, <laughs> that's my excuse. Um, no, there isn't an excuse. Uh, I I feel terribly guilty. But just imagine how long this episode would have gone if both of us had been speaking. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I think I think if that was if if we were going to do that episode, me and Eddie should have ducked out. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this is our internal talking about it. Yeah. And also, I always like talking about this stuff because, like, you know, if it's if if it's you and Michaela, like y'all y'all know what went into this, right? right? And I I like making new connections sometimes, or thinking of things that maybe haven't been mentioned before. Um, well, well, you yeah. know, I, I haven't actually had a chance to speak about Cyclops's Cave much. Uh, when we were doing the run up to the Kickstarter, uh, Michaela was doing an awful lot of the interviews. I was quite happy with that. That's not I'm not complaining at all. And I'm more than happy for Macaulay to get the, uh, the yeah, coverage. I think at the time, you were also focusing on classified more. Right. Yeah, yeah. I was doing the classified stuff. And so it's nice to be able to talk about these things and I guess my my take on them. Uh, but again, just as we said near the, the start of the episode, uh, an awful lot of the credit for this one does have to go to Macaulay. Oh, yeah. I'm more than happy yeah. for him to receive it because, yeah, I think it's a... Yeah, he did wonderful work, and so did the entire team on the book. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I definitely am looking forward to this, and I would say that if I was ever going to run this for a convention game, just my piece of advice, if you do pre-made characters especially, is pull pre-made characters from one movie and then just run a different movie and see what happens with those yep. characters being stuck into a new movie. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's so easy to play this as you are all masters of the universe in The Princess Bride. <laughs> Right, exactly, oh, exactly. Uh, or, or actually, no. I think it'd be more fun to, to have uh, the characters from Princess Bride in Eternia. Um, mm -hmm. That having Inigo Montoya dueling with Triclops <laughs> could be would it is like a dream come true. I think. Yeah. No. This is this would be amazing. Uh, so that that is probably what I would do. Where I do try to just do like a a fun little one shot for this is just pick a movie that you know really well and then drop some characters in it who don't belong there. Yeah. Um, so with that said, if people want to talk to you about inspiration for these games or other archetypes or anything else about Cyclops' Cave, where would they do so, Matthew? MatthewDawkins.com on Twitter at DawkinsMP. Uh, they can find me on the Onyx Path Discord as Matthew Dawkins, and they can still back this game on Backerkit for the time being at time of recording. Nice. Uh, Eddie, what about you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter as Pugsteady, P-U-G-S-T-A-D-Y, or my website is Pugsteady.com. You can find me pretty much everywhere at Dixie Cyanide. I am in the Discord. I am happy to talk about Cyclops' Cave at length or any other they came from game. Uh, and always happy to just sit there and regurgitate lists of characters and movies that I like. Oh, uh, wonderful. A wonderful image. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like an owl coughing up a little bone bone thing. Uh, beautiful um, palettes. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Palettes of, of hooks, of knowledge, of... Yes. Teasers, yes. Yes, yes, yes. I will I will give you the refuse of my knowledge. Um, you can find us pretty much everywhere <laughs> at the Onyx Path, theonyxpath.com. Uh, please come hang out in the Discord and uh, talk to you all next week. As always, many worlds, one podcast. Come on.